right, so we first met uh, my first guest on the show tonight last year when he spoke very candidly uh, about his history uh, as a perpetrator of gender-based violence. You may remember that conversation. It followed on from an article uh, that uh, Becky Sisa Mkhube had written uh, for the Sowetan, uh, which was uh, essentially uh, talking about all the confessions of an abuser, and he was joined for that conversation uh, by... Oh, who who was that that joined him? Vanessa, Vanessa Gavinder, uh, who is the author um, of a book, Beaten Not Broken, which explored uh, her own experience as a survivor uh, of domestic violence. Tonight, though, we delve deeper into Becky's life as we discuss his debut memoir, uh, The Love Diary of a Zulu Boy, which explores his life as a lover, husband, father, and uh, for a part of his life, an abuser. Uh, it's a brutally honest memoir which spans his life from childhood to the present day. It's at times erotic, at times romantic, tragic, at other times comical. Uh, as I say, it's called The Love Diary of a Zulu Boy, and I'm delighted to welcome Becky Sisa to the show. Becky Sisa, welcome to Late Nights on Cape Talk. It's such a pleasure to have you on Book Club this week, and I've been uh, wanting to have you on uh, for many, many months, even prior to our last interview. But finally, uh, we've got you on the show, and it is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, thank you, Farazi. So listen, The Love Diary of a Zulu Boy, a memoir. I have to say, you know, I am I am a, a memoir um, hound. I absolutely love memoir. It's probably my favorite genre of writing. And to me, the key to a, a great memoir is honesty. Um, and this memoir is all that and tied up with a big red bow. Um, talk to me about the process of writing such an honest piece of work. Was there ever a point at which you thought, this is too close to the bone, there's something that I don't want to share here, or did you go into it with an attitude of anything goes? Well, it, it actually caught me by surprise because um, it turns out that over the years I've been writing some form of my memos, without knowing that in the future it will become a book. So when we moved to Pretoria five years ago, I didn't have work in the first week. So I started writing diaries of a Zulu boy in Pretoria. I did that series until day 60. And then at that point I thought, no, man, this is actually, I should be telling the story of my life. Not just these sixty days when I'm new in the in the city, and then I, I just I just started putting together all the things with the actual diaries actually there. That, that's what makes it uh, more authentic because it's based on real dates and real names and real people. You know, I was there. I killed an elephant, as the as the saying goes. Mm. So there was no uh, desire to to sanitize anything because at some stage. My, my children are going to start asking questions. I mean, my, my boy is 21 now. So I thought, well, I may not be able to answer all their questions, but they can just open the book. I'll say, chapter 7, when I know about your mom. Chapter 7. Sure. <laughs> so it was something like that. And then, <laughs> and and yeah, and when I had finished, I was like, there's a level of honesty here. So I tried to put that line in the blab. I thought the the publishers won't like it. And they, they approved. And I was like, yeah, this is it. 
and this is it indeed. And, and I have to say that I was gripped from, from start to finish. And I think that the book really, you can say that the book is written in two halves, although it hasn't, although it isn't officially in that way. There's not a part one and part two. Uh, did you do that very deliberately or is that just how the book turned out? The first part, uh, obviously, uh, dealing with, uh, with your early life and then your relationship with your now wife, uh, who you call Professor D uh, in the book. And then in the second half of the book, we tend to, it is more of the love diary of a Zulu boy in terms of we hear about your um, your love conquest, your sexual conquest, your emotional conquest. Was that very deliberate? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't deliberate at all. Um, the book I wanted to write in the beginning was a, a classical autobiography. Mm. And um, the, the publishers were, were not interested. And then I... I sort of started revising my my, my my synopsis, and then I thought, no, man, South Africans love a little bit about love. Can't I write about love? And then and then I did. And then when I learned the book at work, and they said, but there isn't much love in that love diary of a Zulu boy. <laughs> but the the, the, main, the main point is the complexity of love. You know, so it's all issues around love. What could have been? And what it is, and 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 all the complications that then arise. Mm. Mm. So it ended up in being two parts to show that there was a part, or there was a time in my life when things were not gelling, things were not coming together. And uh, I trace that back to my earlier upbringing: issues of abuse, issues of depression, you know. And the issues of poverty, which is what I laid down in the in the in the introductory uh, chapters. But then that defines why there were these mis- mishaps with so many women. And and then my 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 editor suggested that the letter to Shengi we put it at the end mm. because it sort of sums up what has become. So the the metamorphosis is complete in that. At the end, I become a better human being, a better person, you know, and I say I'm a dependable father and, 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 and whatnot. But the idea is that these things are not uh, black and white. They're never uh, as uh, clear and straightforward as most people assume that if someone was abused, it's going to, you know, there's going to repeat the cycle of abuse and they will never heal. You know, so in this case, there is healing. Um, that's why I say I write to heal the wounds of the past. So there is a healing that, that takes place in the book. But there is also uh, there is also a story of hope to say that there is actually something called love uh, at the end of, 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 of the day. Mm. And you find it in, in, in very unlikely places because no one sleeps and wakes up and says, tomorrow I'm going to fall in love with a white girl. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you might have those dreams. You can tell your mates that, hey, I love that white girls, you know, the way they do their hair, man. But that that does translate to nothing. But when it catches up with you, 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 you are ill-prepared for it. Yeah. You know, and uh, you, you realize very late that, I, I mean, this now, because the, the public uh, reaction to you, and you're like, what did I do? Oh, she's a white woman. That's what they think. Mm. But you you don't see that. You don't have that every day. It, it means nothing to you. It could be novelty to other people, but to you it means absolutely nothing. 
you just love this person the way they are and your life with them and what the future that you want to create and then for for your children so it's not really like groundbreaking you know people have been doing this hundreds of years, even before the, the prohibition of mixed marriages mm. in South Africa. There were already reports of white men and, and, and white women getting married in, in, in all sorts of, of places in, in, in this country. Before, of course, the, the madness of 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 of, 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 of course, but of yeah. course. Mm. The book, to me, goes through many seasons. You spoke, I mean, largely, particularly the first half of the book is 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 hilarious. It is a very very funny read, um, talking about the the sort of the cultural issues between um, w- with you and and your wife and the, and your family and and so much of it. You know, it was it's laugh out loud funny. But there are also it goes through seasons. There are also very dark parts and I want to take you back if I can to, to the very start of the book where you're talking about uh, your childhood um, growing up in uh, northern the northern part of KwaZulu-Natal just paint a picture uh, for our listeners if you will just just briefly about how childhood was for you the family that you grew up in well I always say to people I was I was born black and poor mm. you know but that does not really illuminate the extent of the the, the problem when when I, I was born, uh, I, I came to know a man who will then be my my father, and I think I might have been six years old when I, I I got a feeling that this is not how other kids talk about their fathers, because I had fear around this man who was supposed to be my father. Of course, the excitement would be there when he arrives, but it would last less than five minutes, because he, he was a man who would shout. He was a man who would pick up a belt and beat up someone. There was a man who had so much violence. There was so much shouting in my house where I grew up. My mother will be shouted at. The kids will be rounded off. All of them will be put in one house, in, in one room, and then my father will go on a tirade for hours, promising to disown all of us, promising to, to leave my mother, when I was uh, a bigger boy, maybe a boy of 13, then my, my father would just pitch at home uh, during the week uh, while at work, and, and then there would be employees from his workplace, and then there would be a girlfriend. You know, he never found any contradiction in, in that kind of behavior. And I remember one thing that I will never, ever forget. My, my, my late brother... Uh, started smoking Dacha, I think he was still in high school. I didn't know that this thing was affecting all of us. And my father uh, became aware of it, and um, one day he decided he was going to put an end to it. To this day, I have never seen anyone being beaten like my late brother was beaten. Hmm. In, in in front of everybody at home, and my mother was there and everything. At some stage, my mother had to put herself between the, 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 the flying sticks and the, all sorts of things that were happening just to, to stop the... Because it was just blood everywhere. And, uh, yeah, and then when I wanted to go to school, he had no desire for me to go to school. I don't think it was just about me. I think it was about the idea of school. And uh, and then later on, we, we, politically, we, we were not uh, believing in the same things, and she wanted his way. And I wanted my way. Even when I left home in 1993, we, we, we had 
what I consider to this day it was in the the, the last throw that broke the camel's back. You know, mm. he wouldn't uh, comprehend the idea that I wanted to do higher education. But his reasons are like, I want to get married. I want to take a second wife. I've put off this for so many years. I'm like, dude, we are hungry in this house. You can't feed the seven of us. Now you want to bring another person. Of course he did. He's got children all over the show. You know, some of them are at home now. They've not even completed uh, uh, primary school, and they're already over 20. You know, so put all that together, and, 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 and then you have a vortex of sorts. And then you, you don't discount the fact that my, my brother, my other brother, not the late one, who's still alive, mm also decided to experiment sexually to do that with me and now you 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 growing up you fear your father you fear your brother because for some odd reason you just you know that this is not how things are supposed to to happen i might have been young but i guess some things you just pre-programmed to be a, a particular kind of a person now you start interacting with women like I did when I was 16. What do I do with my first girlfriend? I kidnap her. Because to me, violence is part of, of life. Mm. It's, it's, it's normal. And now I'm, I'm thinking about this in, uh, on reflection, but at the time, it was literally the way I had seen everybody doing things, And I couldn't comprehend how a woman could actually sleep with you willingly. I thought it was not possible. Becky, may I read a, a short part um, from, and you, you spoke about the abru- abuse that you suffered at the hands uh, of your brother. And um, you, so essentially you, you now are sharing um, a room, sharing a bed, um, or you upgraded to sleeping in a formal bed and you're sharing it with, uh, with your brother. You say, but there was a catch. I had to share the bed with my middle brother. On my first night, there was some excitement about finally being able to sleep in a bed. But what little excitement I felt was short-lived. On subsequent nights of sharing the bed with with my middle brother, I started feeling uncomfortable. At first, I thought it was all in my mind, but the feeling of discomfort continued relentlessly. Um, I used, had to use my tiny brain to get the, to the bottom of my discomfort. I made a plan to stay awake after lights out so I could fully investigate the thing that was bothering me. On previous occasions, the thing that had made me uncomfortable was something akin to human flesh rubbing against my thighs and a bodily movement that had a, that had a domino effect on the bed as a whole. It was very strange. I didn't report this new phenomenon to my mother or my middle brother. I had a theory, though. My theory was that my middle brother was rubbing his penis against my thighs to amuse himself sexually. I mean, that is... It's its a very almost clinical way of writing about something. And I guess when we are children, that is very often how we process things in a very matter-of-fact way. At what point as an adult did you have to come to terms with the fact that this had happened to you and it had happened to, to you by somebody who you were meant to trust and be able to uh, feel safe with? Uh, it actually happened, took me by surprise 15 years ago when I had my mental breakdown. Mm. And then I ended up in hospital and uh, the first person who came to the room was a psychiatrist. It didn't make sense, but a physician had, had you know, taken me to these people and uh, so I didn't know why a psychiatrist would come and see me anyway but the the big thing happened at night the same day when a psychologist came and said I'm your doctor I'm like 
this young Indian woman is my dog. She's beautiful. We should be talking about coffee and not because I don't need a psychologist. And then she said to me, so now tell me about your father. This was her very first question. And that, up to that point, I didn't know that I didn't have a father in my head. And I didn't know that all the things that had happened in, in my house had had such a negative impact at another level in my brain to cause me to be sick. I never cried like that in front of a stranger in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I cried for an hour, um, the whole hour that she was there. And then, I, and then it became clear when we were going through therapy for two years that there are these layers and layers of abuse that happened at home that needed to be talked about. But I only told my, my, my wife about, about 10 years uh, ago when, I, it, when it started to bother me, you know, you just started to look at yourself and think, I could be dirty, you know. Maybe someone knows what happened. But, yeah, but the bottom line is that I survived. I'm here to, to, to tell the story. And um guess my children will have a different uh, feeling altogether. Can you talk about your relationship with your mom, which I've, I find um, heartwarming and also um, anxiety bringing all, all in one? I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful relationship, but a, but a, but a complex one that you write about uh, in, in the book. Um, how, has, how has your relationship with your mother, do you think, affected your relationship with, with women? My mom was something was something different. I, I I love my mom to this day. I love my mom, but uh, she she's an abused woman. Yeah. So she spends all the time, even today to this day, trying to defend my father. Maybe not to defend my father, but trying to make sure that there's some kind of peace. You know, the 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 this kind of peace means keeping family secrets. It means not calling things by their first names, you know. It, it means, you know, letting go of the hat, you know, when you, you, you get home and your, 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 your two cows have been sold without your, your permission and you didn't get the money, you must just say, oh, it's my father, you know, and, and, and move, move away. Because my mom is very um, committed to a brand of Christianity and she, she's a, a faith healer. So to her, is peace at all costs. For me, it's justice at all cost. So that has been tension since I was a little boy. And um, I, but I depended on her. I depended on her emotionally, and I depended uh, on her like like all other children. I remember the anxiety I used to have when I, I was young, when my mom was taking a bath in the morning early. I knew she was going somewhere. I didn't like the sound of that. Going somewhere could mean a whole month. Could mean a week. Because she also had her own uh, minor mental breakdowns over the years. And then she'll disappear and be taken to uh, healers. And then she'll come back full of energy with a lighter complexion. And then a week later, she'll be back to her old self. Sick, in bed, out of bed, working, and then sick again. So this was like a drama that I was watching and I didn't know how it was going to end. I don't think I had, uh, comprehended the idea of death at the time. 
But I was always fearful when my mother was, was not at home I, because there were all these vultures around me, you know. So, but even today, that, that relationship remains complex, and she's still trying to manage everybody's relationship with our father and with each other, which I, I, don't, I don't think she would succeed. And I always say to people, I, 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 I fear for the day my mom dies because what is left of that family will disintegrate. I, I, I just cannot, with a clear conscience, have an honest discussion with my brother, an honest discussion with my father, and, and plan anything because they, they've been stealing from me over the years. The, the abuse has never stopped. It just changes forms, both of them. You know, So it's something that I've, I've decided actually this year that I'm going to go back to therapy because I thought I had dealt with my father. He was dead and buried. But now I find myself being angry when new things happen, which hasn't happened for 10 years. It was like, okay, my father's done that. That's fine. Who is that anyway? But now it's, it's, it's becoming a bother. It's bothering me again. Mm. And it doesn't help that my, 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 my eldest son has decided to have a relationship with my extended family. All these years, I used to take home when I was there because I didn't want him to get, you know, contaminated by that family. Now, in December last year, he decided he, he can't do this anymore. What if they die? You know, I don't know these guys, but these, these are my grandparents. So I'm, I'm, I'm going. And then he actually uh, carried out his threat. And he got there. Guess what? 21 years later. He gets a ceremony that was supposed to have been done on the first day he, he arrived mm. in that family. Mm. Uh, my father goes around. He does not even tell me. Gets a goat. He goes. The whole hog, the whole cultural ceremony of a newborn was done for my, for my son. My son is happy. Um, I keep telling him a little bit and pieces. I don't want to, I, I don't want my life to color his relationship with his grandparents. But he can't go there with with, uh, with eyes closed because he's going to get hurt. Was there any point during the book, and, and as someone who's written memoir, I've, I feel this very keenly, um, and people always ask me that question, you know, aren't you worried about what people think, particularly people uh, who may appear in the book? Was that ever a concern for you? I mean, have, have your family read the book? If they did, they didn't tell me. Right. But because I was on uh, Nguni radio station, I'm sure they know about it. And in fact, I did mention it some time ago. Hey, I'm writing a book, you know, but no one has ever really um, wanted to get to understand what this book about, uh, except my sister, of course, who has a university education. And she, she has read the book, and she was just happy about how it's written. We never discussed the actual content. But I was I was never um, uh, in any way fearing that people mentioned in a book there is going to be replications. I don't know why I had that idea. I thought that if people have been hurt, you know, like like you read the the memos of abused women, the idea is that you don't name the abuser. Because then you give them a life, you mm. know, you, you recognize them. Mm. But my case is different. These women have to be recognized. They must have names. 
you know, and the idea was only to hide the, the, the surnames. But because I want to reach out to them, you know, because the person they dealt with 20 years ago is, is not the same person that I am today. I am a better human being today. And it's a combination of so many factors that, that allowed that healing to, to actually take place. But I, I do feel that, you know, reaching out to some of them, if I can find them, it will, you know, bring closure for, for all of us so that they can also understand that I was, I was broken. You know, I, I was a broken man, you know, having grown up in a broken home, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was copying things, you know, what you end up in the, in the play, playground and what, what you see happening around you, and you thought that was life. It was not life, you know. Some of these things can actually today be considered rape. You know, my publishers were very concerned about that. Were they? And that's that's what I, I also wanted to ask you that. I mean, some of the... Some of the things that you write about in this book, and we we had this conversation when you joined us last time, and I asked you, and you answered very frankly. You know, there are, there would be people out there who would possibly have a case, um, a criminal case against you, for which you could serve time in jail. And I asked if you would be prepared to do that, and you essentially said yes. Um, I mean, we, what were the conversations that you were having with with your publishers around some of the content in this book? Well, I, I worked a lot on 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 rewriting, changing the the the, the language, the words used, um, and then the lawyers looked at it and said, "Yes, it's still very bad, but you know there are ways we can get away from it, because in terms of the law at that time, the law was different, mm. and then you have, you know, you well, there's an admission that one." And and two, there's been a process of healing lasting over 18 years now. I've been on medication and seeing all sorts of specialists, and thanks God, most of them are still alive, so they can come and testify and say, hey, we found this man on his deathbed, and uh, we had no idea what was wrong. Now we do. This is a full picture, you know. So they, they, then they, they okayed it, but uh, it was not just a, an, an easy thing. I think... It went through maybe four drafts, and you think it's bad. Uh, the way I had written it initially, that, that, that chapter actually I published it in America a year earlier, and they, they also had returned it and said, look, we don't want to pursue it here. But I kept working on it. I kept insisting that if it's going to be a book about uh, my life, then it might as well you know, cut to the bone because there is no second chance to do it right, and uh, any memo where it's sold, it should actually, it should actually be shameful. And 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 if there is no healing, then they, they it has to say that there's not been any healing. And you know, other people are going to say, okay, because you admit to this, then we uh, that's our justice. But others will say, no, we want the real justice in the court. And that's where the the, the, the the rubber hits the tarmac. But it's been a close to a year now, and uh, the hurricane hasn't really begun. But there's an error there in the, in the book, which I'm not going to tell you what is it. But someone's surname is mentioned. Um, but it's not a bad chapter at all. Mm. It just shows another complex side of 
a broken man trying to be in a relationship with women. And you you tend to attract other people who have their own issues, and you, you don't know how to deal with them. So you feed on each other's brokenness, and it, it just becomes... It ends badly, as, as, as you know from, from reading the book. Yes, yes. It, it just ends badly. It's, um, it's end badly. <laughs> we, we can't talk about it. No, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Listen, what I do want to talk about is your, is your wife. And I was going to say your long-suffering wife, but that seems terribly unfair because she, she may well have a completely different, a different take on. But, I mean, part of the humour in this book is to do with your relationship with your wife, who you just simply refer to as Professor D in the book. Um, I mean, besides the very obvious uh, comedic opportunities there, um, just purely down to uh, your differing cultural backgrounds, uh, there are also the minutiae of your relationship that you expose uh, quite, again, very, very openly and, and honestly. How did she feel about it? Well, someone was saying, if, if my marriage survived this book, then it's stronger than they thought. Yeah. <laughs> But it's other way around. Since we met, I've been telling her these stories. And she was kept saying, oh, maybe there's a book there. And But, you know, it's, it's over many years. We've been together now 18 years. And um, But she listened to these stories, the horror stories, long even before I was I was wheeled into a, a hospital, a loony bean, as it were. So there's really nothing new for her. She she read the little bit of this and she'll say, okay, you told me this story in 2005. And then she'll go to the next one. And it, it has really never been an issue. And then she's been supporting me when we go to uh, book festivals. Uh, she's always there with my daughter. And yeah, they it's, it's out there. You know, there's one other thing. Some, some people are saying, okay, you're preparing to be a politician. I'm like, I was a politician before they came back from exile. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but the truth makes me feel much better. I'm, I'm lighter. You know, so you can't... People, people are, are very devious and they start to use your, your the way you grew up, you, whatever they know, little bits and pieces, as an ammunition of thoughts. In my case, you just can't. Because when you, you say, hey, but you abuse women, I say, okay, let's look at chapter 17. And you, you did this, say, okay, chapter 19 deals with that. You know, it's out in the open. It's not going to be used against me anymore. And it's not going to sit with me and, and, and causing this raging fire inside me. You know, trying to reconcile the person I want to be, because I've not even reached the point where I want to wanna be emotionally. The, with the person that I was and, and how I interacted with so many people, men and women. But mostly women were at, at the receiving end of, of what I consider to have been a monster, really. Mm, mm. But, but that process of, of healing also helps the way I dealt with the issues with my wife. You know, the first thing I, I told her was, I have a child. And so I was like, oh, cool. How old is he? I was like, I'm not sure, maybe five. I've mm. never met him. <laughs> mm, mm. And when I actually finally met my son, she was there with me. And uh, you know the story, how it all happened. Mm. But imagine if I had hidden all these things from her and then suddenly 
I'm like, this is my son. He's like, you, you met, you sick, you need to go to hospital. So that kind of openness uh, on my side and her side, and the fact that we're trying to create warmth and, and, and a supporting environment, now more so, not just for ourselves, but, but for our daughter, who is, doesn't know any other life other than the life of being born in the suburb and going to the right schools and making the right type of friends. So we're trying to make sure that we get the best of 18 years of her so that when she goes and, and joins the big world, at least she's got a solid foundation. She doesn't have to deal with uh, funny family history. You said earlier it's about breaking the cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said earlier that that your relationship with your wife, the fact that your wife is 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 a white woman, is is just how it is. It's that that's completely normal to you, and and I get that. In the same way that you know the fact that the people who raise me are white are white. Just it just that just is. It's not it's not weird to me. I mean, yes, I can put a certain level of introspection on it, but on a day to day basis, I don't pick up the phone and say, "I'm now going to find my white mother." Um, let me see if my white mother would like a cup of tea <laughs> when is my white mother coming to see you? You know, that that's just simply not how it is however i know that for some people that is how they view it and when my mom comes to comes to visit me in south africa and and we walk down the street that the looks that we get i mean very often people think that i'm the maid um there's a whole load of different you know very varying different experiences that i have um and I have to say that even even as the product of an interracial relationship, even as the child of uh, white parents, I do a double take when I see um, people of a certain age walk, who are in an interracial relationship, maybe not young, sort of teenagers or early 20s, but perhaps over 30, I do a double take. And I, I think we are all programmed to do that. And I consider myself, of course, uh, the most liberal, open-minded person on the planet. But I mean, what what sort of reactions do you get and i know that you ex- you explore this in the book and i don't want to give too much away but to you there obviously you don't wake up in the morning and say good morning my white wife bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> i mean how bizarre no. completely bizarre no no it doesn't um but what has happened is that before we got married it seemed to be an issue among all my friends and everybody around, you know, Devin was like home. We've been there for, for many, many years. And, um, and then we got married for some odd reason. Immediately after we got married, our cycle of friends um, shrank by about 50%. By the time we left Devin, I think we were at 20. By the time we reached Pretoria, we were at 2%. I've just accepted that, that since I got married, people realized that there was no turning point. This guy was gone. Just today, I was, I was talking to another writer on Facebook, and uh, she said she was offering a special writing love letters for people. It could have been a joke. So I said, please, I'm the only one who can write love letters. What do you know about this loving business? <laughs> and she said to me, ah, you can, of course, but you know, you only write for white people. <laughs> I had this old friend of mine who had passed together. We were in the SRC and, you know, we were talking on Facebook. And during the days when uh, Zuma was running riot in the country, and I had, I, I had lost political confidence in him, which was visible in my writing. And then he said, oh, yeah, since you married that wife of yours, now we can see. 
So I, I instantly blocked him. So I can no longer have a view. Mm. Anyone who knows that I married a white woman, I cannot have a view. If I have a view that they do not like, it's because that view comes from my wife. What they don't even know <laughs> is that my wife, we met largely because we, we shared the, the politics, the ANC and, and whatever. But over the years, we, 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 we don't, there's no blanket support for people because they are in the ANC. She refused to vote for Zoom completely. Long time ago, she said, this man is going to be a disaster for this country and I want no part in it. Hmm. Now, trying to tell people who assume that everything that happened in this house is because there's this supernatural white woman <laughs> will not really get us anywhere. You know, but we all glad that the, that trauma is over so we can do what we used to do, vote as a family again. You know, but those things are, are more complex for other people. I mean, she, she's a sociologist by training, and she takes her profession very seriously. She's not in the business of slogans, in the business of uh, winning arguments on the basis of shouting uh, bigger. And, you know, it just doesn't. It has to be... It has to be evidence-driven. You know, if you, you, you fail to that test, then you, you, you have failed. You must accept that and move on. You know, so I, I don't have that. So I, I don't even bother looking at people anymore, especially that we're in another part of uh, South Africa that is very difficult, Pretoria. Mm. But I do what you, you said you, you do when you, you see other uh, interracial couples. I, I check their age and I check how how they could be related. Mm. If I see that there's a, a, a love affair there, somehow it warms my heart. I don't know why. <laughs> sure. I'm like, Oof, I am not alone. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in chapter 24, we're going to have to we're going to have to draw it to a close. But in chapter 24, you write that the past, the burden of the past, is too much to bear. Um, do you still carry the burden of the past, and is it still too much to bear? Um, the healing process has is, is reached a, a very advanced level. I am I am now. Uh, at a better space uh, uh, emotionally and uh, you know I, and I think the, the healing will will be completed soon that's why I've decided that maybe to to accelerate that process of healing and to letting go of the past I need to subject myself to further uh, a therapy just so that they, they, they you know they, it's like landmines you know you don't know how many we're in the ground, and then you don't want anything to, to go off unexpectedly. So that's why, because writing this book took me three years. You shouldn't have. I could have done that in six months. Now I know, but at the time I didn't. <laughs> so emotionally training, because you, re- you, you relieve all these uh, moments of madness, moment of ecstasy, you know, even if it's, it's misplaced, and then the trauma of it all, and then you, you finish that chapter, you're like, oh, God, I did that, how did I? And then it starts all over again. And then once the, 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 the book goes to, for production, it's even worse. They keep bringing it back to you every week. Mm. <laughs> so, but the healing process is, is, is very advanced now. I think I've accepted a, a, a many things. Some, one of them is that I, there's no way that I can change my brother. 
So I should find a way just to kill him like I did with my father, you know, get over it and sure. move on. Yeah. I've accepted that I am no longer a decision mover from a show away in the eyes of people who know that I married a white woman because I sold out. Mm. I'm not sure what I sold out. And that I can't have a view amongst people who know that. But there are those few ones who accept that life is just like that and will continue. So we accept people in our lives because they are prepared to understand the principle of non-racialism. And people who understand that there is no male chauvinism in this house, there is no head of the household, you know. We're running a household, we are two individuals, adult consenting, and and, and, and it goes on. So I've accepted that. So we, we don't even bother. Um, it's saying to ourselves, are we ever going to be invited somewhere? I'll tell you a quick example. Here in Pretoria, we have not been invited anyway, wow. other than our old friends from Devon. Hmm. <laughs> our daughter started getting invites outside the house only last year, hmm. after four years in the city, and going to, to a primary school with all the kids, with all the birthdays, with everything. And it wasn't for lack of trying on our part. Um, it will only happen after maybe three weeks of nagging, and it only happened if we initiated it for our daughter. If that, that didn't happen, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. Only last year, it, like, we were so happy. Yeah. But she, she, has, she understood. She, she's clear that... Um, it will have nothing to do with people who are sexist and nothing to do with people who are racist. And she's into social justice at 14, right? <laughs> she sounds, from yeah. from the sound, from how you write about her in the book, she sounds like a firecracker and one who uh, in the future and even now is not one to be messed with. Listen, we've fast run out of time, which is, uh, which is devastating, but it has been such a pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed the book. There were times that I wanted to hit you. There were times that I wanted to hug you. And that's probably the idea of the book, I guess. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. It's called The Love Diary of a Zulu Boy by uh, Becky Sisa Mhube. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Your WhatsApps for late nights now to 072 567 1.